0: Welcome to the first episode of Sim Talk, uh, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. If you would like to see more of our podcasts, please visit BrokenJars.xyz. With us today, we have the founder of SimCon, which you can find at SimCon Solutions.com, Dr. Jeremy Dejada, PhD. Jeremy, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: i oh, can 't complain you know Friday afternoon <laughs> took the day off because yeah. I wanted to, and you know here we are recording a podcast about simulation, so like three people are ever going <laughs> to listen to this thing
1: <laughs> if we get ten it'll be a victory
0: yes, yes, it will so uh you know we are here to talk about simulation modeling, you know all all facets, all areas, all softwares uh for first time listeners um i've been in the Industry for about eleven years. I've consulted. I work for a Fortune 500 company now, doing simulation full time, uh, mainly in Simio, but I've used FlexSim, Arena, uh, AnyLogic, uh, all the major players. I've used. Uh, Jeremy, where have you been? What have you done? What are you doing right now? All that stuff. Who are you as a person? Let's round you out as a human being.
1: Easier said than done. Well, I am, as you said, I am the founder of SimCon Solutions and in the company, uh, we're a small company, so there's only about two or three employees, three, and then we have a few contractors. But uh, being a small company, I take on a lot of roles, creative director, project manager, administrator, uh, lead dishwasher, you know, all the stuff that goes on when uh, when you're the founder of a small company. So, and I've been doing that since since 2013. I founded the company uh, while I was working on a postdoc at the University of Texas. Uh, so that's what I got into there. So I say I've been in the industry only about five or six years. So even less than you, actually. Um, yeah, but you got the pieces of paper
0: that I don't have.
1: <laughs> I do have some pieces of paper, uh, and it took me a while to find out that the the value of those pieces of paper isn't uh, you know what I once thought it would be. And as as uh, the world seems to evolve so quickly. Uh, less and less people are are getting degrees, and if you have a great idea, you know, you can just go do it, and you worry about the degree later.
0: <laughs> right. So, where'd you end up going to school for undergrad, grad, all that, all that
1: stuff? In college was uh, obviously one of the, the funnest times, my fondest memory. So, I I went to Texas Tech for undergrad. I actually committed to go to Georgia Tech. Oh, uh, a I had a scholarship farmer. to go there. Yeah, and then I I you know, I, my parents and I moved from Dallas, Texas to Londonderry, New Hampshire when I was in 10th grade. Um, And so I wanted to come back to Texas. I graduated high school early, came back to Texas for uh, for that last semester and summer to to hang out with my old friends. And they went and visited Texas Tech and I kind of tagged along. And then, you know how that goes. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, I think I just want to go here and, and hang out with my friends. I know Georgia Tech is probably a a more prestigious school, especially for industrial engineering, right? I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a lot of debate there to be had. But uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to be around my friends, and so I did Texas Tech for three years. I did uh, full summer semesters while I was there. Just, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Lubbock, Texas, but it's not, uh, it's not a place you might want to spend an extended period of time.
0: I've been there; it's been a long time, but yeah, it, there, there ain't much there. <laughs>
1: No, there's not much there. And like I said, it's a great college town, a great place to, to do undergrad, but uh, it's time to move on. So I did the summer classes and got through that in three years and then ended up at North Carolina State. They had a very good industrial engineering program. And uh, let's let's not forget, I, I went to college in '05, graduated in '08, And uh, it seems like only 10 years ago. It's not that long, but the economy was not good in 2008, needless to say, no, here in no, the U.S. Right. So that's kind like, of what
0: happened to me. That's why I don't use my finance degrees because finance went to hell in <laughs> 2007, 2008. So I'm just right, like, well, yeah. I got to do
1: something else.
0: And, you know, I guess, uh, I
1: guess I better find something else. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of looked at it and just I interviewed with some companies and I was like, man, these, this is not what I want to do. Stuff so like, I got, I got good grades. I'll go to grad school. And then this guy's, I got a a dean's fellowship and, and some other things that made it uh, a little more palatable. And, Got a teaching assistantship, so I didn't have to pay the tuition. Obviously, there's other other costs involved. So, yeah, I made my way out to NC State, joined a, uh, the Raleigh rugby team, played some played some men's Division One rugby while I was there. Had a mm-hmm. great time. Did the math, did a master's and PhD in industrial engineering under Jim Wilson, uh, one of the titans of simulation, if you will, if you uh, yeah. are a winter simulation conference person. So he was my advisor. Him and him and Julie Ivey, did a did some work in healthcare simulation, specifically breast cancer. Yeah. And then after uh, continuance of school, really, unfortunately I spent, let's see, from 18 to 25 in, in schools and then uh graduate or 24 graduated from NC state and then took a postdoc at university of Texas at Austin. I looked for some healthcare related postdocs, but nothing was really there. So this one was actually simulation and risk quantification for nuclear power plants. Well, that kind of, that's how that ship kind of got steered and then uh we can we'll get into the company but while I was doing that postdoc I was doing work the the university had a contract with one specific power plant and the university was one piece of a very large multi-diverse team so we had some consultants from industry some other universities involved and we were just kind of one piece of that pie and uh, one of the other consulting companies I took notice of some of the work that I was doing for this power plant. They had some similar work for others. So they kind of asked me to do some consulting on the side and, and then I was advised to start an LLC and that's how the company got started. Really. Um, Someone just said, Hey, you need to do some work for us. I said, all right, I guess I better protect myself and start an LLC. And then it just kind of grew from there.
0: And how most things do.
1: Yes. Very organic. Uh, I never, as a college guy, I was never like I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, that wasn't really my mindset. It just kind of it just kind of grew out of grew out of the work that I had.
0: Okay, well now you're here. You know, you're doing your own thing. You know, consulting. <laughs> what do you think of the the current state of simulation in industry and in your industries and in, you know, sort of American business or international business as a whole? You know, that now that you've seen where it's being used, how it's being used.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a different experience than than you think you would have in school. Um, and so you get out there and in terms in terms of simulation specific, um, you know, I haven't done a lot of international projects, so I don't, I can't give you the greatest feel for what's happening internationally. I can, I can speak to some things I've seen at conferences and some some folks I've interacted with. But our projects are are pretty much here confined to the U.S. and I've worked with several. So I've partnered with several other other companies that you'd see at Wintersim uh, often to do some projects. But the current state of the industry, I think, is very good, actually. Um, I think we're in a very good time. I think, you know, when I was in school in 2005, which is 13 years ago, I don't think a lot of larger companies, the, the, idea of simulation and analytics, you know, the word analytics right now, it's such a buzzword everybody I mean, a wants to data, use it. Every-
0: analytics, all yeah. That. Yes. Yeah.
1: Everyone wants to say that they're an analytics professional because they know how to use Excel. Right. Uh, and so the buzzword of analytics is has gotten really big now in 2018. You can't imagine, uh, you can't imagine a company that doesn't use analytics, but even, even just 15 years ago, um i mean you were ordering your your pizzas on the phone calling up somebody hoping they got your order right now you can see the name of the dude who's putting the pepperonis on your pizza right, uh, yeah. and that's, that's happened me, like every
0: season. every step of the way it's like you <laughs> joe bob somebody is doing pepperoni
1: like well i didn't <laughs> like, ask for well,
0: pepperoni so i was like really, up. But, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh well guess i'll have pepperoni on my pizza yeah it's just it's a different world than it was and i think uh, in the spot that we're in, it's very good. So not just large companies. The Large companies have always seen uh, Fortune 500s, you know, the the big guys. I've always used some analytics, but I think it's finally made its way into the mainstream um, that, you know, using, using simulation, using numbers, using modeling to, to capture what's happening in your business and to make better decisions within your business. I think it's become much more commonplace. Uh, which I think is very good. Uh, and I think there's – I don't personally see a saturation of, of simulation consultants now. There, there could be some things out there that – we're a small company, so there's, there's some things I'm not, I might not be privy to. Uh, but from what I see, there's a lot of opportunity for people in the industry to work together. I've partnered with, oh, I can – at least three or four different companies and doing different projects. It, it seems like there's a lot of work out there. Uh, and, and so that's always a good thing. And, and I don't think we have a situation where you've got, you know, hundreds of kids per university that are getting IE degrees and thinking, I want to go do simulation consulting. I don't, I don't think that's the case. So I don't think we're getting inundated with a lot of simulation modelers. Um, no, most, so I think, I think it's a,
0: most IEs don't even ahead. remember their simulation
1: class. They just drank. Right. Through they, it. <laughs> yes. They took one class in arena and they, they got together as a group and did the models and. And yeah, I mean, for me, I knew in school, so, you know, simulations you know, something you get to at, in your junior or senior year of industrial engineering, you've gone through all the statistics classes and your, your production and stuff like that, and you finally get to simulation. And for me, it was just like, oh my gosh, like all these other models that we learned about seem to apply to very specific circumstances and very limited uh, scope of a problem, like an EOQ model. Well, who has a normally distributed demand? Uh, I mean, who has that? Uh, so it's like, okay, uh, maybe I could generalize this model to another distribution, but even then the, the constraints on ordering, when you read the constraints of the problem, you're just like, there's no business that operates under these constraints. So while this, this little equation might be informative, uh, and it's it's interesting to look at, I'm not sure how this would translate into real work. And, and I'm one of those folks that, uh, I did one internship in, in 08 between undergrad and grad school. I didn't do it co ops So. You know, when you don't do and looking back on it, maybe that wasn't the best plan because you you didn't really know how to apply all the things that you were learning. And I always found this interesting. You'll think this is funny. You know, when I was in school, uh, my goal was to get an A uh, and get good grades. Uh, and, and learning the material was important, but uh, the goal was to learn the material to be able to pass the test. And there's a money the people that go to undergrad and grad school right out of high school were just like me. Uh, but then you've got a few people in your classes who are like in their 30s, right? Who have been out and work and actually came back to get their degree to enhance their their toolkit. And those people you can find taking a totally different approach to the to the courses in school. They're not concerned about their grade. They're concerned about gaining some sort of information that's going to help them uh, with their job and their career. Uh, and so that was a really interesting interesting part of, of of how school went for me. And I started to notice it. And now I look back on it. And I'm like, man, it might have been good to do do some more internships. So I had the one internship at Xerox between grad school and undergrad in Rochester, New York. Yeah, I won't be spending uh, many summers in Rochester, New York again. It's not the uh, I'm a Texas guy, so that's not my ideal uh, my uh, ideal state. Well, I'm,
0: but I'm up in the Northeast, and it's been uh, it's been cold here. It's just been lingering. It's, it was snowing yesterday.
1: It's 75. It's uh, it's 80 degrees out here in Dallas today. Uh, nice nice cloudy 80 degree day. So, uh, yes, that's, that's always good. Um, yeah, it's too cold. If my parents live in New England, I, uh, I struggle with that cold. It's a little, little too chilly for me, man. But, um, uh, I was saying the, the internship at Xerox, uh, so I, th- that's one thing I did, but I didn't really know how these things would translate. Uh, and then going into the industry, uh, I found that a lot of our clients, are able to see the value of our, of what we do very quickly now. Uh, so for example, we did a manufacturing project with this client in North Carolina and we built and they, this, this was a facility that wasn't even constructed yet and they were trying to figure out, they weren't a lean company. So they had batch sizes and different parts that had different routings and different batch sizes and needed to know what the batch sizes should be. So we built a simulation model, did an optimization, let the optimization run for a week, got the best scenario presented it to them. And I remember there's like a 58, you know, maybe 60 year old um, engineer, the lead engineer on the project, who was trying to do all this in Excel. And uh, up to this point, and he looked at the the screen. Uh, it was actually Simulate that we used for that project because they had already had a license for that. So I had to learn it; had its own scripting language. Um, and the guy he looks at the screen with all these, you know, parts rattling around in three dimensions, and he's just like, "How did we ever?" How do we ever set up a manufacturing plant without this, this type of information? Uh, so I think we're at the point where where everyone not everyone, but a lot of companies, large and small, are able to buy into the value that simulation offers. So I think we're in a very good place right. uh, for, for, for simulation for now. For me
0: with a lot of people's when they see it. When they see the things running Definitely. on the screen and it just it clicks. And you're like, Yep, see. But then you of course you gotta like Prove to them that it's sound a sound model, which it can be hard. Because I definitely have people. I agree. Like, I definitely have you like, uh, "Hey, I need a model for this," and then I show them the model, and you know it's a good model, but they're like, well, "I don't agree with it." And they never look at it again. I'm like, "Well, they're six months of my life." <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, the and I, I should have mentioned that the another reason that you asked me what's the current state of simulation. Another reason that I think it's in a really good place. Based, to your point is the is the animation uh, for the software. You know, when when my advisor, Jim Wilson, and folks like your dad who've been doing simulation for 30 years, when they started, they were writing code in, in C and in GPSS and the client could not see the number in the queue over time. People lined up. I mean, even just these basic things. You had to trust that some programmer went behind the scenes and did a bunch of stuff correctly. No graphical user interface, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just nothing there. And that, like you said, that makes it really difficult for for folks to buy in uh, and even as a as a programmer with all this animation that we have now it's e- it's much easier to debug the models uh oh, and sure. we both we both we both shared some stories don't get me wrong, you can still lose yourself in a hole for two weeks because oh. you uh cause you forgot to add a, to reset the counter or something like that we've all been there mm-hmm. and it still happens the, the so worst, what the, the animation is important
0: the worst one I had was. I had a bug that only presented itself with certain random number streams. It would run perfect fifteen times in a row, and then on the sixteenth one, it would throw an error. It was like it was like eight hours deep in the model, so I'd have to like set it up and let it run for an hour.
1: (laughs) Oh my! There's no way to get the yeah. You can't set the seed. Uh, the only way to Vimeo
0: now, at least. You
1: can't but, but you gotta know what seed I don't know if you can find out what seed that experiment was on To go back and try to reseed Everything to replicate That would not be a fun bug to work out
0: No, that's, that's what I told my boss is like, Because I, I was on this thing for three weeks And I told him, the moment I find it I'm going home And I found <laughs> it mouth. at 10am like on a Friday Is like, dude, I'm out I found it, it's working, I'm gone Peace out. And I just walked. Uh, out what? The <laughs> and he was said, it that was a the "Very <laughs> simple.
1: Something simple. Something silly. I assume."
0: It was. It was really small. Like it was one of those things where it was like, you know, on the if-then tree, it was like sixteen you know, way down there, and it was like just some stupid oh, random thing. And I finally you fixed had a
1: sixteen-way nested if. It.
0: Well, not. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but you you get what I'm saying. Where it was just like. <laughs> It, it it was just super random where like, and it was a stack issue is what it was, is nine, you know, nine times out of 10, Simeo would do the order of operations in a certain way. And then this one time something happened to where something got put in between two sets of operations and that was throwing it off. So I had to like figure out a way to keep it from doing that.
1: We've seen a lot of that in uh, in our semio modeling as well. and you can overuse the epsilon delays they've added in there too, trying to correct for uh, that type of stuff, especially in a scheduling model when we did recently, we had to use these epsilon delays at the front of the model to get um, you know to get the to get the work orders to their machines before the sales orders made it to where they were at and to get everything to get set up properly, we needed to use some epsilon delays and then, uh, we actually had some notify steps uh, to notify the, the the client of special circumstances, and uh, one thing we found is that the notify steps only fired once per time slice. So if you have seven tokens hit a notify step at one at when the time doesn't change, it'll only fire the notify the first time, uh, and so you you run in. So, and there's like, well, you can do a bunch of epsilon delays or a bunch of one second delays before it hits that notify and it'll fix it. And it's like, well, we already are using delays to get everything set up right, so we can't use more delays. Uh, That's so when nice I start using them, you know.
0: executes at the end. Like, I'll, I'll, instead of having one large process, I'll have three small processes and yep. execute at the end of each one. So you have it more, you know, uh, more. We do mindset. that too.
1: Mm. Executes are like little subroutines, uh, the way I think of it. We've also got into building custom steps now. It's just like if you want to loop through something, uh, you know, having a decide in the counter is, is not the most efficient way to do it. So we've started to put in some custom steps. Uh, we're going to put one on the simio form here soon. For this last model, we had to actually back calculate a production due date from a ship date. So you have a date that is supposed to ship, uh, and then you had to back calculate, okay, if, and and you obviously you can't ship on a Saturday or Sunday, right? So you need to back jump over weekends. And then there's some holidays. So we had to make a table of holidays. Um, and it got. And then and there's manufacturing lead time. So, okay, it needs to be ready to ship on this date, which means the production needs to be done here to give us the three days for the manufacturing lead time you pass all this stuff in. And we were doing it in, a, in an execute. And we're just like, we just need to make a custom step out of it. Uh, and we'll probably post it because there's got to be other people who are building a model that's like, I just want to pass it a date in a number of days, and I want it to tell me, uh, okay, if it needs to be ready on the 7th, and you have just six days, uh, okay, and you need to jump back over the weekend, so it would be really nice to just get it to spit out that date, so we'll do some interesting stuff like that, too.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing I loved about AnyLogic when I was on it was you could just directly inject Java code, so you could, you know, use real you know do while loops and that kind of stuff and it made made some of that stuff so much easier
1: for the for program for people with a programming background who start with a programming background i agree and i think correct me if i'm wrong i haven't used flexim much i've used it a little bit but i think flexim also has a scripting language i know simulate does uh you can Um,
0: um Well, I mean, it's it's more like Simio, but you can inject like just straight straight C plus into
1: it. I think that's right. Yes, and so that's and that's one thing that Simio you you don't have the ability to do right now. But what you can do is just take their template and make a custom step. And if you know how to write .NET code and use their interfaces and their API, which are fairly well documented, you can you can get through most of what you need to. But you definitely need to have a you know, if you open up a custom Simeo step and you don't have a .NET background, you're going to be lost for, uh, for a few days.
0: Right. I would like to do on. that more. But since I'm doing models that will persist over time, I do my best to avoid anything custom just in case. I mean, I'm not planning on leaving my current job anytime soon. But if I do, you know, <laughs> then the person who comes behind me needs to be able to figure out what's going on.
1: Well, you just have this step in there that does a bunch of stuff and they won't have any clue how it happens, especially with no programming background. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting difference between Simeo and, other, and, uh, and some of those other languages that we talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I was wondering, what do, you, what do you call a simulation language like Simeo, Arena, AnyLogic? Is it like a high-level language? Because, you know, MATLAB, you think of MATLAB like the top of the tier and then it goes down. MATLAB built on Java and the, and it kind of goes down to like your core programming languages like c plus plus and c sharp uh and then you have the the visual studio which is kind of a step up from that then you get all the way to your matlab where you don't even have to define or dimension most of the time you can just and you can just start doing array math and without any any custom functions but simulations like even above matlab uh, it's, it's, I, i'm trying to I, think I just of a way to
0: top tier whenever i'm referring to top like here yeah like one of the big ones you know, like with the big four, you know, FlexSim, Simeo, AnyLogic, Arena.
1: Yeah. In terms of programming, they're at the top of the hierarchy. Like it's not something where you write a lot of code. They're they're languages, but they're like, they're high level languages. So I've always, I've thought about that. And so, yeah, it it definitely helps to have a a programming background when you're doing simulation. I didn't have one in in school and, you know, going out into industry like I said, when I in that postdoc we started working for the nuclear plants, and that stuff was simulation, but it wasn't, you know, a simio. It was a custom simulation that a guy at a national lab had written in MATLAB, and uh, basically just got thrown over the fence. To us. And it's like, hey, make this better. It's like, oh man, I haven't done a ton of MATLAB, but you, you learn it real fast when uh, you get thrown into the fire like that. And that's one of the things I liked about about doing starting my own company and getting thrown into these situations is it forces you to learn things that you might not have thought about learning before you got in there. Like, oh, I'm going to have to learn some MATLAB code. I need to learn what is an object. Like when I learned programming, I started in middle school and I learned on, on Q basic and then Pascal and then basic C plus I mean, these are, these are rudimentary um, functional programming languages where you have subroutines and functions and all of a sudden things kind of shifted in the 2000s to this object oriented programming paradigm. Uh, and I, it's a totally different way of thinking about programming than like oh have a function it takes it takes some inputs makes some outputs and you string together a bunch of these functions and you've got a program uh, and then object oriented is actually objects that have behaviors and think and so you have to mm-hmm. kind of rewire yourself.
0: That's that's a that's a real strength of I, I think Simeo more than the other guys is just like the ability to get smart objects is just fantastic.
1: Yeah, your presentation last year at the users group meeting on intelligent entities was very interesting. Uh, there's a when you look at an entity and you subclass it and you just look into it, there's not much there, uh, and it's just like ah, you can do everything you would do uh, on, a, on a server or on anything else on those entities. Uh, yeah. So you have a really customizable platform.
0: Like I, I was just goofing around the other day because I was curious because you can put you know entities inside of entities inside of entities, and I like. I was like, so I, I create a little simul model that it created an entity and the entity would create an entity and put it in itself and that would fire a process in the new entity to keep doing it. So it, it would keep going down levels. And I got yeah. like 75,000 levels deep before the program crashed.
1: So 75,000. I would expect it to die after like a hundred. So you had, you had an entity with the batch member queue that had something in it with an itch batch member queue.
0: Mm-hmm. What actually
1: caused the cr- what actually caused it to crash?
0: I just ran out of memory.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have a great Jesus. computer at work, but oh, I gotcha. I was gonna say it's got to be a computer limitation. Yeah, so sixty-sixty-four gig.
0: <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. You know how deep you can actually go. I don't know if you'd ever want to go seventy-five thousand layers deep, but probably you
1: not. You could. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Can just... you? Ask, I wonder how you would access the seventy five thousand batch members' properties from the first entity. Oh. <laughs> batch member dot batch member dot batch. Yeah, you
0: you, you might be able to do like a looping search, searches into searches into searches, but I don't I don't know if that would actually be possible.
1: I've never. That's funny. I,
0: I've never tried a looping search before. Maybe I, I, have not, I, I, I
1: haven't play with that. I actually, I had a professor from Texas Tech who knew me when I went there. He knows I own my own company now. He emailed me the other day asking about, uh, they're thinking about switching to to Simeo from Arena there. And uh, he was just asking me about some functionality in Arena that gets ported over to Simeo. And I sent him some clips of the of the help section. And it's just it's like, any, the guys that built Arena built Simeo. So anything that <laughs> Arena can do, I can promise you, Simeo's got that functionality and it's probably a lot cleaner.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was like, I run into people cause like, I mean, I grew up on Simeo. That's like the first program, like a, sim, a simulation software I touched really.
1: And, like, and I still
0: run into people, you know, younger IEs at work who are like, they took arena in college and they're like 24. I'm like, Oh, you poor child here. Here's a real simulation.
1: software. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely touched arena first uh, I touched arena first and got real comfortable and familiar with it the model for my dissertation for breast cancer was actually in arena and looking back on it it definitely didn't need to be I could have done it in, in probably a C++ but arena saved me some time uh, and then Jeff joins and Steven Roberts who I know you know professors mm-hmm. at NC State uh, started launching a simio class while I was in grad school While I was actually teaching the arena class so I taught uh, for two years, I taught the uh, simulation arena class for undergrad while I was taking the Simio class in grad school. And keep in mind, uh, in 2000, when was it 2010, when Simio had just come out, uh, and like we were on like version two, and you know half the stuff didn't work, and you know they hadn't, it wasn't a mainstream program yet. And I, and I was just like, man, I'm, I'm comfortable with Arena right now. And it took a couple years, and then finally, it, it, it there was a, there was a tipping point, and that tipping point tipped very hard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it just like oh, Simeo is a little better than Arena, and they're uh, for what I need to do. It's just like no, if you want any animation involved whatsoever, you're going to need to use going to need to use the the Simeo, and Simeo is so good about responding. That's the thing. You can just send a a request for a feature, and if it's a feature, I know uh, Dennis called it like a quick hit list. If you can send it, if you need something that's quick and easy that jumps on that hit list, it, it's it's going to get out with the next sprint. Okay. Uh, and their their agile so their agile software development methodology i don't know if any logic does that as well any logics the one i have the least experience with cause i haven't done a lot of uh heard a lot of people do that for mixed uh systems dynamics type and uh type of models right. um, i haven't gotten gotten and too heavy for, into that
0: one thing they're it's really cool with and i just i suggest you go to youtube and look at some of the videos but uh like uh like uh, disease spread and like pathogen yep, spread agent that, based yeah yeah i mean you can do that in simio but anylogic does it really well and like well, you can yeah. do all these really cool um connections and because how they do it's not really process logic but think more of a of a visio diagram yep. it, it it kind of flows that way and so you can have like three branches off of one step it's oh okay it's and the thing is because any logic is more, it's more, it's designed more to inject code directly into it. So you can have like all these branches, and then you're like, okay, well, if this happens, take this branch. If this happens, take this branch. You know, it's yep, you can do some really cool stuff with it.
1: Sounds like more of an arena flowchart kind of layout. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard of Sim Studio from SAS, but SAS is developing their own uh, simulation language right now that interfaces really well with their. You know, base SAS and jump and their, their base products and the, the, the woman who's in charge of developing it, Emily Wada, is one of Dr. Wilson's PhD students. And if you're, if you're a, if you're a uh, simulation academic, they got some really neat stuff in there. You know, they that those models can, can run themselves to steady state, like compute when they're in steady state and stop the model for you and based on some really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It'll actually run the model. You can just tell it run it till it's in steady state and give me the steady state results. And the model is smart enough to know when it's Mm -hmm. reached steady state. And so there's some really interesting stuff in there, but I haven't found that it's it's, uh, widespread in industry yet. I've tried to um, tried to see if there's any, any way to get some uh, get some work, get some consulting work partnering with them, but they're so big. And that's one of the other things I was going to tell you. Um, We talked about uh, where the industry is going and what, and where simulation is. And there's a, there's an interesting delineation I think that I found, and that is you've got some bigger firms, that do some simulation modeling type consulting work, like GE. Uh, RTKL here in Dallas is a big architecture firm. Um, there's um, HDR is a big architecture firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot I of see architecture firms. Yep, and a lot of architecture firms. You know, they're designing buildings and they're finally finding like hey, we can design this building in CAD, dump this design into a simio model, and we can bring the customer not only the building design, but the operational design. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding there's a lot of big firms uh, that are doing that. In fact, one of my friends who got his PhD from NC State works for HDR here here in Dallas. And so there's a mix of of simulation consulting firms. You've got the big firms and you've got smaller consulting companies like mine, of which there are several. In the, and it's interesting, I, I think the the split of projects is pretty interesting. The larger larger firms tend to want to work with larger firms. Uh, that, that's, that's just what I found. Uh, smaller firms want to work with smaller firms. So uh, when we go to a, a larger firm client, there's been a couple of times that have done a presentation, the people loved us. Um, they really wanted us to do the work. And then once you start getting up to the, you know, the dudes in suits who write the checks, uh, they want to they work with a larger company, even if, the, even if the rate for the work is double. Uh, and, and we have a good reputation and good references. It doesn't really matter. You know, large companies are more comfortable working with other large companies. Uh, and there's more to it than just so that they can sue them. Uh, I mean, we've got five million five million dollars of insurance and it'd be hard to do that much damage. So it's just a comfort. It's just a comfort zone. So I think a lot of the work for large firms kind of stays within other large firms, but then there's this whole other group of, Small to mid-market uh, manufacturing and, and other companies that are more comfortable with someone like us, who's going to, I would say, hold their hand, uh, but just going to be there every step of the way and be very involved, and whose lifeblood is, is all about that project for for some set period of time. So it really depends on what the client is looking for. But th- I wonder if there's going to be a, a situation of, of which will win out. Like eventually, are a lot of firms like mine going to get either absorbed or just are those larger firms going to start going after smaller projects? That's another thing. A, a large firm might see a, you know, a six-month, hundred to $150,000 project or $200,000 project because, you know, man, that's not really worth our time. Uh, and so you, you want to kind of hope that it stays that way so that there's still room for us. If, if those larger firms start going after these smaller projects, it could be a situation where a lot of the smaller firms could get absorbed or their employees could end up going to work for, for larger firms. So that that's one I wouldn't say a concern I have, but one thing I'm watching kind of closely is, you know, which is going to win out. Are we going to be able to keep this the way that it is now, where we have a lot of smaller companies that work together and then some bigger companies that take the really big projects or, uh, or are we going to have the, the takeover of these large firms? And, and so that's, that's one thing I'm definitely watching out for.
0: One thing I think we're going to be seeing a lot more and I notice it because I, one of the things I just religiously do is check the job postings every day for simulation. Like like you throw it in like all over it man yeah so like on indeed i just have three search three searches for AnyLogic, flexem and SemiM. and it used to be i used to get like 6 7 hits a month now it's 6 7 hits a week so a lot of wow. companies are hiring engineers
1: directly right
0: so i think and those are big bigger
1: companies i think
0: uh bigger companies de- well definitely bigger companies uh start in startups lots of startups but they got money to throw around like Tesla's hiring like hiring like crazy right now Amazon's been hiring like crazy uh, I'm trying to think
1: did an interview with Amazon Amazon Amazon's an interesting interview if you ever uh get to participate in that they they really they have an idea of what they want and uh <laughs> you don't really get a lot of freedom to there. They have set roles in their jobs. And if you're, if you're not exact, like, yeah, I don't really, I mean, I can do some optimization, but I'm really a simulation guy. It's like, nope, they want someone that strictly optimization. And so mm-hmm. they have a, they, the way that they, they define their roles is pretty interesting. Um, did that a couple of weeks just to, just to keep it fresh, right. Just to see what else is out there. I'm not, no intention of shuttering my business or anything like that, but it's always nice to just kind of keep an open mind and explore and see what else is out there was trying to get me to come up there for a while and GE as well. And it's like, man, oh, I like, I like the small business feel. I really do. I don't, I don't love the, the big office, uh, you know, going in there and dressed in nice clothes every day. I, I like to like to operate more on my own terms and, I, and I'm pretty productive. Now there's some people I know mm-hmm. that really thrive. I mean, when I went to grad school, there was really two kinds of folks, the kid, the guys like me who, had their office, but were rarely in it unless it's office hours and did a lot of their work from home. Uh, and then there was, I had other grad student friends who literally could not work at home. Like if they went home, home was like their place to not work and like watch TV and do the other things that they had a really hard time with that. So it really depends on the personality in our company. We definitely need, we need people who can be independent and can, can work from their home and not need to be in office. I have an office here in my, in my house uh, in Dallas that we can all come and work in. And occasionally we do centralize together when we have big projects and things going on. But uh, just, it's just interesting. There's uh, some different kinds of workers and how they operate best.
0: The the one thing I have found with these companies that are new to simulation that are hiring is they have no idea how to value a simulation engineer. No clue. Like they were wanting. I interesting was, that you say that. I, w- I was interviewing with a an apparel company out in Seattle couple of years ago and they wanted me to move i was making like 85 at the time and they they were like yeah we'll pay you a hundred and i'm like just
1: cause Dude. the living
0: increase like <laughs>
1: uh the median actually was listening to that i'm a i'm a it's, we're doing a podcast and most of the podcasts and stuff that i listen to uh embarrassingly for me i'm not a big music guy so most of them are like sports radio so i was actually getting ready for this today and one of the guys I like a lot, and I know some people will not like this guy, but it's Colin Cowherd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a, he does, a, does a good show, I think. I like his podcast a, lot, a of, lot
0: more than his show. Like, I'll listen to his podcast, but I really yeah. won't listen to his radio show.
1: He, he, he has a lot of, a great way of tying in life with sports, and he does a really good job. But today, I, I was just listening to his show before we got on today while I was having, having lunch, and he said that the median, the median house in Seattle, in the city, is $900,000. That means there's fifty percent below and fifty percent above. You can't live on that in, in Seattle.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, and that's kind of what it was. Like and so you know, I've I've interviewed with some companies in Silicon Valley. They had the same issue. Like they wanted me to like one company wanted me to move to San Francisco for like a hundred and eighty thousand. Like You can't no. afford
1: you can afford to live in a shack behind the river for a hundred and eighty thousand there. If you're lucky uh, yeah, you have to live Two hours outside of San Francisco, two hours south to even consider going going there for that much money.
0: And I was the only the, the one company they actually I was shocked with was Blue Apron. Uh, I, I interviewed with them a couple oh. of years ago. Uh, they use they were using Flexim at the time. I don't know what they're doing. I know Amazon kind of hit them pretty hard, but they wanted me to move yep. to, move to essentially Manhattan. And you know, I'd done my research, and I was like, so they're like, "How much do you expect this job but I'm like, you know, to move there with the ta- all this stuff I kind of rounded yeah. it off and I was like, you know four hundred fifty five hundred thousand like yeah, that's that's what we're expecting I'm like wow, that's a first <laughs>
1: wow, but yeah, yeah well, a lot of times I-
0: people they don't understand how specialized it is. they just assume most people can do it. they're like, sure. we want." a master's of engineering with seven years of experience and we want to pay you 70 K. And I'm like, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and that's the thing. And, to, that, and, th- and those salaries are just to maintain your, your cost of living. And that's one of the reasons uh, we operate out of Texas. We have no, no business income tax. I have no personal income tax. My employees have no personal income tax. Uh, the property taxes are a little bit higher here, but. Well, um, that's why yeah, like, that, everyone's
0: that, that, that. <laughs> like everyone's moving to Dallas. Like everyone's moving to
1: Dallas right now. And it's making it, and I'm actually, uh, we've been renting a nice townhouse for a while and we're finally starting to think about buying a house and it's getting very difficult even, and I live in the northern suburbs, probably about in, in a place called Plano, which is about uh, 25 minutes north of, of the city, taking about 25 minutes to get down to the American Airlines Center from where I am. If there's no traffic, uh, if there's traffic, uh, I can get it, can get over, I can get hours to get around this place, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's getting very difficult to find houses and Our biggest concern, not concern, but if Amazon does their H2 headquarters here, uh, that is going to cause houses to be just everyone who owns a house. And I think that headquarters would be in like Frisco, which is one suburb to the west of where I live. And uh, I mean, anyone who owns a house there will instantly be (laughs) tripling the value of their house. And anyone who doesn't own a house when that decision is announced is pretty much screwed. Right. Yeah, we're, so we're kind of a uh,
0: we bought a house a couple years ago in sort of a, a not as a, a nice area of Pittsburgh. I mean, it's okay, it's safe, but it's you know, it definitely got hit hard by the steel mills closing, you know. Right. But like Shell, they are they're building this like ten billion dollar cracker plant and our home values. Like all these old homes that have been sitting vacant are all getting snatched up. It's like I think I have yep. like forty thousand dollars to my home in the last six months.
1: Unfortunately, your property taxes will be based on that increase in value. And so your property taxes are going to get
0: you... Property taxes, <laughs> where I'm at, 79. Like wow.
1: Like my uh, property taxes are like
0: 1,500 bucks a year. It's...
1: Oh, dude. They're like thousand have... to 10,000 a year.
0: But it's, it's a lot different a lot. here because in PA, there's state income tax and there's state right.
1: income taxes. Yep. They're going to get there. My parents live in New Hampshire. They don't have it. They don't even have a sales tax there, but the state's going to get its money some way right. um, where well, they don't get you one way. They get you, they get you another way. So like, When
0: when, yeah. I, when I first moved here, I was like a city income tax. Are you kidding me? But then I saw how much it's, sno- <laughs> but then I saw how much it snowed and they're like, you know, the, when it, during the winter, the plow goes by our house at like 645 every morning. So you're just sitting there yep. waiting for the plow to go by. So I was like, all right, well, that's, that's tax money well spent, right there.
1: Yeah. And they have, there's some, there's some local taxes here, uh, like here in Plano and in, in the County I live in, there's a community college called Quad City and you pay some taxes to that. And I mean, you can, you can go take a digital marketing class for, you know, 30, 40 bucks a credit hour. If you live mm-hmm. in the County and it's like, you can't beat that. So there are some, there are some benefits to it, but no, I like, I like the South. I wouldn't, uh, it would take a lot for me. i like I said, I spent that last three years of high school in new England and I think that was enough. Uh, it's a little, it's a little chilly up there. Uh, not, not as much quite to do outside unless you're a skier or a snowboarder, which I am not. Uh, so right, yeah, so, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be staying down here. So for where, a while. Do you,
0: uh, where do you think the industry's going as we kind of wrap it up here? Like, where do you think you're gonna yeah, be? Yeah, that's an interesting years, you question. We're gonna be at in ten years.
1: It oh man. Uh, I was wondering I uh we obviously we had you sent me a few things to look at, and that was one of them, and I wrote down some thoughts. It's a complicated question. So where I know where I'll be in ten years, uh in, in a very general sense, and I know where you'll be too. I'll be solving problems somewhere. I can at least say that. Uh <laughs> that's what I know. The nature of the problems, the tools I'm using to solve. These types of problems uh, might, might evolve. I think is probably in a good position. The Simios and the Anylogix and the FlexSims have established themselves pretty well, and I think there's enough diversity and enough quality in their software to keep them going for, for probably 10 years. Uh, I was thinking to myself, like, can a robot do what I'm doing? When I, when I read this question from you, it's like, okay, Excellent. how long do we have? Uh, That is how long before we're totally before we turn into the steel workers of the of the 80s where we're (laughs) got some computer doing what we're doing. I feel like we're not we're not that close to that yet. Ten years seems like a stretch, but.
0: The the soft skills will be you might have a computer assistant, but some of like the judgment calls are going to be really hard to do in a computer.
1: I, I agree and, and, and the pro and having a computer that's been programmed, do programming is always gonna be a tricky thing. Uh there'll be some things to help with, like you said. But uh you no, know, if I, I had think, like
0: an AI that could read a CAD drawing and like right. place the servers and the source do all <laughs> that for me, I would be all for it. That would save me so much time.
1: It's interesting that things like Simeo are moving in that direction, like auto creating models from data. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what's the real value of that. Uh and in whether or not that feature is really worthwhile, like it seems like that—that's a lot of programming when I could just drag and drop the servers on a on a spot. Well, for, uh,
0: for me, there are times when that's like I have to draw for days to get my model set up. Yeah, you know, so it was you're simple. doing the yeah. I mean, especially if you ever do like a large parking lot model, you've got to use. I think the last one I did, I used ten thousand nodes. For this the large- no,
1: there's yeah. Yeah, and so then you the got to use your know,
0: paths and all that. So that if that could save me days of time, and I, that's what I. That's why I need a lackey, man. I need like some kind of intern. I'm like, all right, draw this model for me. Come back in three days, and I'll I'll start playing with it. But...
1: <laughs> no, yeah, that's we do have a. Uh, sometimes I I've started to grow into a kind of a creative director role as we've gotten more projects and I've got you know more than one employee, more than one person to to watch it after where I do some modeling. Uh,
0: hey, sorry everybody, we had a small technical difficulty thanks to my internet provider Comcast, thanks guys. Uh, but we're still here with Jeremy. So uh, Jeremy, what, what were we talking about? We were talking about the future of simulation modeling and where we think we're going and where we might be in
1: the future. Yes, yes, and we talked a little bit about automation and, and getting the models up and running. So. Yeah, I know in the future, like I said, I'll be, I'll be doing some problem solving, but I'm I'm not sure what form it will take. And, and, you know, there's, uh, things have evolved a lot. My perspective has certainly evolved uh, a lot over the last five years looking for myself, you know, at first, you know, trying to pay off your student loans and you're working desperately to, to get yourself in a financially stable position. And then once you achieve that, you're kind of able to take, take a few steps back and look at, uh look at what's really important i've uh, grown a lot more uh i enjoy spending a lot more time doing doing uh low-tech things nowadays like you know walking the dogs and going for hikes and shutting off the wi-fi on the cell phone and and you know just hanging out with with a group of friends and sometimes i mean they will have a few guys over here for beers on a friday night and we'll play uno man uh it'll, it'll get to that level of rudimentary uh of rudimentary stuff. Uh, I still have a regular Nintendo and all that good stuff. So
0: nice. I don't
1: know exactly where we'll be in the future, but uh, I'm a little bit of an old school guy. Uh, and to that point, I, I do think uh, one thing that'll be interesting is, you know, in 10 years, you know, so like a lot of things in the, in people's, a lot of people have outsourced their thinking to the internet and devices. Um, I mean, how often do people spend an hour just sitting down without a TV on, uh, like I did last night about this podcast and, and just, just thinking, uh, about uh, what they should be doing, about what they want to do. Uh, there's not a lot of that anymore. I think a lot of it gets outsourced, even if you consider like a dating app. I know I have some buddies who are single and they have a really hard time. Not, they don't want to be on the dating app, but it's like, there's no other way to do it. Uh, and basically with that type of stuff, you're, you're outsourcing the most important, one of the most important decisions you could ever make, uh, and so while wow, it, it has its merits, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how much more thinking becomes outsourced over the next 10 years and, and what the next group of graduates will look like in simulation in 10 years. I know, I know after talking to my professors and getting a Ph.D., I thought, man, I can't imagine having to review like 500 journal articles on a freaking microfilm uh, <laughs> going into a library. Just like I was so spoiled, I could go on Google, Google Scholar find an article that I liked and then I could type a click a button and find every article that cited that article one click uh it just it's just a different uh, different time I, and so I think it's probably a lot easier to get your get your degree and even a PhD now than it was when I was there than it was 20 years ago and I think that kind of trend will likely continue I didn't have to put the the effort in that my professors did and the people below us won't too so it'll be interesting to see how much of the thinking gets, gets outsourced to things like their cell phones and, and other things like that. And where we'll be in 10 years, hopefully people will still have some, some wits about them, but everywhere you go, I feel like I, you know, I told you I go to sporting events. It just bothers me to death. I go to a hot stars game here in Dallas and, you know, during play, like play is going on and I'll just look around my section and like 60% of people are on their phone. Uh, and, and it's mostly younger people, my age, you know, some of the older fans, the diehards, and they don't even have a phone. <laughs> uh, but just like, man, when are, when are people going to wake up? So I am worried and not just about the simulation industry that applies to all industries about where, where things could go over the next 10 years. We'll, we'll have to see how that plays out, but also be listening to the radio and, and doing old school stuff. So hopefully I don't get left too far behind without a social media account and, uh, without some of these things that seem required, uh, here in 2018.
0: Mm-hmm. So one last question for you before we uh, sign off. So, a lot sure. of the big uh, players are starting to implement some form of virtual reality in their modeling. What do you think about that? I think it's going to be a big deal, especially once they create a virtual development environment, be able to put on the goggles and build models in a virtual world. Uh, is that something that you think could be big for us? Or
1: That's interesting. I, I've i seen, as you know, Simeo has a little VR tool uh, built into their their software now, and I'm sure the other... Simeo is the one we use the most often, but I'm sure FlexSim and any logic can can move in that direction if if they find it to be important. That's a really interesting thing. You know, I haven't gotten big into the VR for video games. I have some friends who have the you know the goggles and they do the boxing and the and the bowling stuff with their with the VR. But I, I that's an interesting concept that you raise. I'm not I'm not really sure will it how much faster will it be to be in the model doing the, de- like you said, the virtual development environment is a very interesting concept. Uh, you can actually use, you can play stuff in the model with your hands and move stuff around as opposed mm. to having a mouse. And that's, that's, that'll be very interesting. In terms of, I guess, it gets down to the client objectives and what they're looking for. And that's something I I had some notes on that's, that that I found that, in the projects we've done over the last three or four years, there's a lot of differing objectives. And I definitely think that some of the, and some of the clients we had them build a a model for six months, you know, these guys paid like $400,000 and it was just an animation of a mining site so that they could try to sell uh, the idea of this mining site to the indigenous people that there would be jobs, they wouldn't ruin the rivers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And being able to go in in a virtual so we had the animation. This was like an animation model, the deliverable was an animation, basically not, not really you know, there was some logic to it that made sense, but, and, and I think if we could, and they ended up not being able to get the buy-in, not because of the quality of the model, just because of some other factors, but that VR maybe could have helped them feel like, feel comfortable in that environment uh, with the mining site there. Uh, and so I definitely think there is some, it depends on the client objectives. And then again, when we do, we do some of our scheduling projects, they don't even want to, we added the VP of a scheduling project just to say, you know, not he's not even interested in watching the model run. Does it give me a good schedule? Can that schedule get back into my e r p system That's all they care uh there's a line so for the people for clients with those type of objectives, probably the v r thing is probably just you know doesn't make much of a difference to them at all. but then again, with the objectives of getting stakeholder buy in I, I think it could it could play a, a very large role mm-hmm. and the, and obviously the development part of it i mean See, wow, that, that to you? me
0: would be huge like if if you, if you had a good so, interface where you could just like you know, grab five servers, plop them down. You know, use your hands, move them keyboard, around with your hands.
1: Uh, Are we going to be dressed in a suit with special gloves, like, uh, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like in some sort of. Do we have to have board? a whole yeah. room for this. Yeah, you have to have your own room to do this. Nah, I'll just sit down and do it. But yeah,
0: I don't know. Maybe it'd be interesting to see. I haven't seen any actual development in VR yet from any of the big players.
1: No, if you think about like the Wii, like Wii Bowling, and some of the VR video games, the PlayStation forward and stuff. It seems like it might be possible, right? Uh with some sensors and some more oh, placing. It's, uh, it's definitely possible. I I don't know where it'll take it. Like I said, I'm kinda old school, man. Maybe I'll need to like that's one of my when you said where will you be in ten years. Yeah. Wouldn't call it a concern, but just, you know, I I it'll be I'm one of those people, you're you're ahead of the you're a little bit ahead of me in the times. I'm one of those people that kinda gets comfortable with something and like to stick to. It. I mean you can ask my dietitian girlfriend. She makes me like the same eight meals uh, all the time. So once I get comfortable, I kind of like to stick with it. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see what new skills we have to pick up along the way over the next 10 years. And maybe VR development's one of them, uh, just to, just to, just to maintain a foothold, right? Just to, mm-hmm. just to be able to still be able to do the work that we want to do. Um, so that'll, that'll be really interesting.
0: All right. So Jeremy, tell all of our listeners where they can find you if they want to hire your company.
1: Uh, Oh, sure. You can find us at, uh, simcon-solutions.com. Uh, and you can always email me, jjtajata at simcon-solutions.com. Um, we said we're a small company. You can find us there. Uh, happy to discuss any, any challenges that anyone has. You know, I find a, a lot of value in just talking through clients' challenges. And it's one of the funner, not funner. It's one of the better parts of the project. So that's where they can find us. And we're here. We're here in Dallas and we do things locally and uh and all around the country so all right
0: well thanks for being on the first episode of sim talk uh if you uh, if you like what we're doing here you can visit patreon.com forward slash broken jars to contribute to the network um i am at jacob ingles on twitter uh so yeah thank you for coming to this episode and we will see y'all all next time